We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavour to be justified in Christ we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Awesome. Thanks, Nico, and thanks, Louis. Appreciate it. I thought I'll pick the two guys who talk the most at youth group and see how they go with a microphone in front of them, and they did well, so thanks, boys. Um, Welcome. Welcome to all. It's great to see you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joel, and I'm the youth worker here, and it's my privilege uh, to be able to speak for us tonight and to share God's Word. So let's just pray, and then we're going to get right into it. So, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you are with us, and God, that you speak through your Word and through your Spirit. And so I want to pray now that you would uh, open our ears, open our minds and hearts to hear what you have to say, that what we hear tonight and what you speak tonight would not just be for a moment, but it would be something that impacts our lives. So we give you thanks and praise that you're good and you're loving. I want to say, have your way here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, with uh, State Youth Services, we've been having this theme. This is the second one of the year, and we have a theme of living with Christ. Um, What does it look like to have a relationship with Jesus that impacts our lives day to day? Is this on or is it? All right, cool. You're all just like looking at me like, yeah. Anyway, um, so we've been looking at living with Christ and we looked at last month at Lang Warren, we talked about being Christ-centered. We asked ourselves, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What does it look like for us to live our lives with Christ in our actions. And tonight, I want to look at living by faith. And and this idea that when we live by faith, when we trust in God's grace and in who He is, I believe that we can find a rhythm, find a way of living that actually begins to make sense. It actually begins to feel like this is what a Christian life begins to look like. And um, it's sort of like how we're supposed to live with God as the creator, the king, and the one that we live for. So I've been watching a lot of basketball recently. Hands up, any, anyone basketball fans? A few? Yes, I know at least a couple. So I, I love basketball. It's nearly, it's a playoffs. I'm into basketball. So often on my way home from work, I, um, I stop by the basketball court. I shoot some hoops. And um, when I first went, I was like, struggling to make the distance I know it's a little bit embarrassing to say but like I hadn't shot for a while and you know you try real hard and the the more you try it the worse it looks does anyone get what I'm going with in terms of sport I mean a few people know 
even if it's pretty much with any sport. If you try, the harder you try, often the worse it looks. Um, the best example I could think of was um, two of my favourite people, um, Michael Scott and Stephen Curry. Um, oh, does it not work? Oh, I thought I'd be cool and get like a GIF, and I thought I'd get two of them in the same slide, but it doesn't work. Anyway, you get the idea. Michael Scott, the guy who tries real hard to impress everyone. He tries his, you know, absolute hardest to look good, to be the coolest guy, and yet it just doesn't work. He shoots and, in the, you know, goes way over and just looks like a fool. And then there's Stephen Curry. I mean, how many of you have seen Stephen Curry play basketball? Like, the guy just has this absolute smooth ease about what he does. He can get anywhere he wants. His handles are like smooth as, and then he shoots and it's effortless. He can shoot from half court without even trying, and it just goes in. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Poetry in motion. It's beautiful. And he's got the swagger as well. It's just like, it's not fair how much talent he has. But do you know that there's one that you go, yeah, basketball doesn't look like that on the left. That is not basketball. I mean, it's just, it's not good. But on the right, you go, that's, that's what basketball's like. And I feel like it's the same with our Christian walk. That sometimes we can try so hard to do the right thing. We can try so hard to impress people, to keep all the rules, to be the good Christian. And it's just not, it doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. We get so worried about crossing boundaries. We get so worried about what people might think. Yet, I believe if we can live by faith and actually change the way that we look at our lives and change the way that that God wants us to see things, that things begin to make sense. And we go, yeah, this is what a life with Jesus is about. So the big question tonight really is, are you trying to follow Jesus, live with Jesus? Is that based on your own effort and your own works? Or is that based on grace, which we receive by faith? That's really the big thing that we want to look at tonight. Is it my own effort or is it God and his grace? So, point number one is our works don't work. All right, This is the first thing we need to recognize and it's what Paul says really clearly right in the start of our passage is that our works don't work. We get taught this in salvation when we talk about that we're saved by grace through faith not by our works. And Paul re-emphasizes it here again, that we're justified not by our works. But I think it's not just true in salvation, but it's also true in our lives. See, sometimes we think, if I just believe in Jesus and he saves me, that's good, and then I just go on living a different way. But I believe the way that we're saved is the way that we're supposed to live. Not by our works, but by his grace. You know, Psalm 127, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, in vain the builders strive. That unless God does the work, we're just, what are we really doing? If it's all our effort, if it's all our works, what is it really about? And this is what Paul is getting at. In verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. And just a moment later, he repeats himself, By works of the law... No one will be justified. And for so many of us who know that, we know that we're not saved, we're not washed clean, we're not forgiven by our works. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot 
make our way into God's good books. We can't make ourselves right, make ourselves worthy. And a lot of us probably have heard that before and know that in our heads, but do we actually believe it? Do we actually live like it? And Paul continues, and he says, like, I do not nullify the grace of God right at the end, and because it goes into chapter 3, and he begins to say in verse 3, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's sort of this rhetorical question going, no, if God saved you by grace, not by your works, but God also sanctifies by his grace, not by our works. We don't get saved one way and then start doing it all of ourselves after that. And once again, I think we hear that and go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But do we actually live like that? Do we actually live relying on God's grace and God's power? Because I think so often I look around and I see in myself, I see in other people that I talk to that we're just trying so hard to do things right, trying so hard to fix our own lives, trying so hard to make ourselves right instead of relying on God's power, God's grace and God's spirit. The reality is we are sinful, broken people. It's not not like the best place to start a message because it's like, oh gosh, this is not that nice. But we need to recognize that we're broken, that we can't do this ourselves. And if we do, we're just going to cause more and more damage. So many of people I talk to, you know, we just talk about, oh, I'm I'm not ready to do that not ready to do my profession of faith or haven't quite got my life sorted to, you know, you know, serve in church or whatever it is. You know, I just need to get my life sorted first. I mean, how many of you have heard that, said that? But the reality is, is that it's not going to happen. You don't just sort out your life. That's the whole point is that we recognize, actually, you know what? I can't do this and I need a savior. And that savior is Jesus. Our works don't work so the question is isn't are you ready the question is do you actually believe that that we're broken sinful and we need a savior and that that savior is jesus christ the one who loves you and gave himself for you you know one of my favorite movies of all time i don't know if anyone can guess it because i don't think you will it's into the spider-verse has anyone seen that movie? Yes, yes, we've got like a few people that know what's up. Seriously, Into the Spider-Verse. It is an animated superhero movie and it's in my top five all time. Like beautiful storytelling, the music is awesome, the art, like the graphics and the art, it's like seriously amazing. But I'm not, don't get me started. I can't believe more of you haven't seen it. No, no spoilers. That's tough. Um, this is right at the end of the movie, um, so I might spoil a little bit. But there's this moment where Miles, who's the guy at the bottom left there, um, he's trying to be Spider-Man. He's got the powers. And he's trying to figure out how to do this. And there's this big mission, and it gets to this point where they go, you're not ready. You can't come. It's too dangerous. And uh, he's a bit stubborn, so... The other Spider-Man webs him to the chair and the team leave him behind. And just before he gets his mouth sort of uh, taped up so he can't speak, he asks this question to Peter Parker, the other Spider-Man. He says, 
when do I know I'm ready? You know, he's devastated. He's hit rock bottom. He's realized I can't do this. And he just looks at him and says, when do I know I'm ready? And Peter Parker turns to him and he says, you don't. It's a leap of faith. That's all it is, a leap of faith. See, all this talk about us, you know, being sinful and broken, it's not to make us feel bad or guilty, but it's to make us recognize that we can't do this ourselves and that we actually need to take a leap of faith and go, I'm not going to try and do this myself anymore. I'm actually going to take a leap of faith and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's a savior and a king, he's one worth trusting, and I'm going to follow him and live with him. That's the leap of faith that we all need to make. And we're going to talk later about how we'd make that, not just as a one-off, but that's a decision that we make each and every day. See, we're not good enough. And I know we don't like hearing that in our day and age. I don't like hearing that. I think I'm pretty good sometimes. I've got things sorted a little bit. But the reality is, is we're broken. But the beauty is that God is in the business of rescuing broken people and restoring them and making them new and bringing them into his family. So maybe for you tonight, tonight maybe is a night where you make a leap of faith and you actually believe that. Maybe for the first time, maybe it's a, a re, another leap of faith, like a recommitment, believing in Jesus again. So number one, our works don't work. Number two, game changer. That was the best way I could think of it. Because when we believe in the cross, when we believe in what Jesus has done, I believe it's a massive game changer for us. And we see that in Paul. Paul describes it so well. Galatians 2 verse 20. I know memorizing verses is not super popular anymore. A little bit outdated. But at the end, you're going to get a card with this verse on it. And I would encourage you to memorize this verse. Because it is gold. Galatians 2.20. Have a look. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a beautiful summary of the gospel. That I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Like that is it. That we've been crucified with Christ. That our sinful nature no longer holds power. That we've been forgiven. We've been washed clean through the blood of Jesus. That he's he's taken our sin upon himself so that we can go, that's done with. That power is done with now and forever. We are held safe for eternity in God's grace because we've been crucified with Christ. I mean, and that would be good enough as it is. But then there's another part where Paul says, but the life I now live, Christ lives in me. That God doesn't just wash us clean and set us free, but he also then invites us to a life and a relationship with him where he now, because we're washed clean, he now resides in us. God's spirit in people like us does that is that not just like mind-blowing that the fact that the holy spirit the power of the spirit is in us throughout the bible it says that the holy spirit gives life the holy spirit 
grows fruits of joy and peace and patience. The Holy Spirit gives gifts for us to serve the church. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, directs us, teaches us of truth, reminds us of what Jesus taught. We've been crucified with Christ and now Christ lives in me. And that is a total game changer. Because our works weren't working. Our sin had separated us from God, but instead Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to take that, I'm going to deal with that, and now we're going to live differently. And I think for some of us, we just need to be reminded of that tonight. That actually our works, our sin, it's been dealt with. We've been crucified with Christ, and Christ is now in us. There's a new power at work. which means there's hope. There's a way forward for us. We don't, need, we don't need to be stuck in that sin. We don't need to be stuck in that habit or that attitude. Like There is hope and a way forward for us. I've experienced that in my life. I'm sure many of you have experienced similar. You know, for, for a while there, I struggled a lot with sexual temptation with pornography. And I thought for a while, there is no way that I could ever get rid of it. Like, it's just going to be part of life. And I sort of just threw my hands up and thought, that's it. But I have seen God work in my life, sort of like Francis said, a moment of surrender, a moment of throwing my hands up saying, okay, God, you've got to do something here. And it's changed. I thought there was no hope. I thought there was no way forward. But actually, when you actually believe the truth that we've been crucified with Christ and that Christ lives in me, there actually is a way forward because the game has been changed. Do we believe that? Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, we move from a battle we cannot win to a battle we cannot lose. And I love that. I love that. Our works weren't working. We're in a battle that we couldn't win. We could never make our way to God. But because he has stepped in, we now are in a battle that we cannot lose. Sin's power is defeated. He silenced the boast of sin and grave. It's been raised to life. He rules and reigns. And we now, with him, walk forever. We cannot lose because we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So our works weren't working. The game's been changed. Number three, leaps of faith. What does that mean for us? I feel like it means that we now live a life where we continue to leap by faith. It's not a spelling mistake. It's not meant to say heaps of faith because I think that's the danger. Often we think that Christianity is just for the people who have heaps of faith, who've got it all together and who have, you know, the really great spiritual lives and they're the only ones that can do this thing well. But no, I want to say that it's about having leaps of faith. And we take one step of faith and we take another. And the next day you wake up and you take another. And it's a continual process of taking a leap of faith so what is faith see faith is more than just believing something in your head it's not just knowing something but faith is implying trust confidence 
trusting someone or someone, something, even though there's an unknown, even though there's an uncertainty, there's a confidence and assurance. I mean, I heard someone explain it like this. I mean, how many of you are stressing about how you might get home in like the next hour? Is there anyone stressed about how they're going to get home? No? That's good. You shouldn't be. <laughs> because, but the reality is, is there are so many unknowns bet- between the time that you walk out of this door and the time you get home. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things you can't see. You don't know if your car's still there. It should be, don't worry. And it scores me, it's not that bad. All right? But you don't know if your car's there, you can't see it. You don't know what the roads are going to be like, if they're going to be safe or dangerous. You don't know if whoever drove you is still capable or if they had sudden memory loss and they can't do it anymore. You don't know, you know, whether... Do you know what I mean? You don't know these things even though you see it, but you've put faith and trust that your car's going to be there, that it's going to start. For most of you, it should start. Maybe some of the uni students are being like, oh, it's a bit risky, who knows. But... You've put faith and trust that your car's there, that it's going to start, that the roads are going to be okay, that you're going to get home nice and safe and get into bed and have a good sleep. And maybe you've got that faith because your car starts every day and you've got a good track record of driving and things like that. But how much more so should we have trust and faith in God that if we can live with Him, He's going to come through He's going to be faithful. He's going to be loving and he's going to be good. He's going to get us home, heaven, one day. But he's also going to be there for us each and every day. That's what Paul's talking about. The life I now live, I live by faith. Not faith in my works, not faith in my ability to keep the rules, but faith in the Son of God who loves me and he gave himself for me. It's a trust, a confidence a belief that leads to action, and it's all based on Jesus. And here's the thing, like I just, it's not just a one-off. So often we treat faith in Jesus as a one-off decision that you make in your life, and that's it. You made your decision, you did your profession of faith, and then you're sorted. And there's an element of truth in that. There are significant moments in life, and there's a moment when you believe in Jesus, you know, he does take your life. But I just think for if we're talking about living by faith, if we're talking like Paul is saying, the life I now live in the flesh, it is this daily decision of taking a step of faith. This is what Romans 4 says about Abraham. I think we've got it there. It says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope. It didn't make sense that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. And he did not weaken in faith when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. See, that is an example of faith. Abraham, this old guy who gets, God promises that he's going to have a son. Yet each day, 
each week, each year that he continues to wait, it gets more and more unlikely. And yet it says that he grew in his faith as he held on to the promise, as he kept believing in Jesus. See, I think each day would have been a choice to actually keep trusting rather than take things into his own hands. He did that once. It didn't work out too well. But he had to keep trusting each day, each year as it went on, trusting that actually I'm convinced. I'm convinced that God promised and that he's faithful. And his faith grew strong. That this faith is a daily decision, a life we live, a life we live by faith, not by sight. Here's the thing about faith, it doesn't always make sense. We're going to look at some examples in a moment. But faith doesn't always make sense. You don't get all the details. Faith implies that there is always a sense of unknown. You don't get the picture 100%. You might get 98, 95, might get 80, might get 50, might get 20. But faith implies that there is an unknown. And so therefore it is a step of faith with a bit of uncertainty. A bit of like, I'm not quite sure if this is going to work out. But it's still a confidence and an assurance and a conviction that it is true. Paul says, the life I now live, I live by faith. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. It's no longer my flesh that determines my steps. It's no longer the world around me or my friends or my parents or my feelings or whatever it is. These things do not decide our steps, but instead faith does. I live by faith in the Son of God. I trust Him. I obey Him. I walk with Him because I believe He is who He says He is. So what does this look like as we begin to wrap up? If you've got your Bibles, have a look at Hebrews 11. It's a passage many of you be familiar with. The, the hall of faith, all the heroes of faith listed. And it says this at the start, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We hope for it. We haven't seen it yet. But we have confidence, we have assurance. That is what faith is. And so then the writer lists all these examples. Have a listen, have a read through some of these examples. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. It said, By faith, Noah constructed an ark. Like, think about that in terms of worldly wisdom and logic. The guy is surrounded by a generation of sinners, people just eating, drinking, having a good time. God tells him to build an ark, a gigantic ark. And what does he do? He builds an ark. And imagine each day having to get up, grab the tools, build the ark, while everyone else walks past. But it wasn't the logic. It wasn't about wisdom. It wasn't about doing what everyone else is doing. It's now, no, by faith he built the ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He left the place he was in. He left his family. It says, even though he didn't know where he was going, he didn't get the whole details. He didn't get the full itinerary and said this word. He didn't know where he was going, and yet he went because he went by faith. 
It says, By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. Instead of a life in the palace, doing what sons of Pharaohs would have done and just having a great time, he says, No, going with my people. That's where God's called me. And by faith, he stepped away from that. It says, By faith, he left Egypt unafraid of the anger of the king. Love that. That he walked by faith, which meant he was unafraid of the other things that came against him. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after seven days of walking. I mean, try that one on for size. Walk around a city. God says to you, just walk around the city. Like That, that makes no sense. That's going to achieve nothing. But the Israelites walked by faith. The walls came down. And what I love about Hebrews 11 is it goes on to give these examples that aren't so pretty. See, living by faith doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfectly. Because there's these examples of people who are mistreated, who are persecuted, who are murdered for their faith, who died horrific deaths. It says that they didn't see the promises fulfilled in their lifetime. So living by faith, living with Jesus, doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfectly in your eyes. But it does mean that God has got a big picture plan that we can trust that will lead for the good of all of his people. And so when we look at our lives, do we and we think about the steps that we take, what determines those steps? What are we living by? Are we living by our own ways, our own wisdom? our own effort? Are we living by what other people say, what feels good, what other people say is right? Or are we living by faith, trusting in what God has said and what God has revealed to us? And so the writer of Hebrews wraps up, you know, doesn't wrap up, but wraps up this little section, Hebrews 12. And it says, therefore, so because of all this, Because of all these people, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, because we can look back and we can see that God has proved himself loving, he's proved himself good and faithful, we have a cloud of witnesses that can testify to what God has done. Because we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight. Let us lay aside the sin which clings so close. Let's throw off those things and go, you know what? I've been crucified with Christ. And instead, let us run this race with endurance, the race that is set before us. And how do we run? Looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, saying, yeah, he's the one I'm believing. He's the one I'm looking to. I have faith in the Son of God. He's the one I trust. He's the one I follow. We look to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who started it. He's the one who gifts it. And he's the one who will complete it. So as we move into a little time where we're going to respond and, and, and discuss and think about things, question is what what do you need to believe tonight or what maybe are you struggling to believe when it comes to Jesus when it comes to the gospel when it comes to his word what do you need to believe or what are you struggling to believe 
In so much of Jesus' teaching, he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent literally means to change our mind, to turn away from this way of thinking, and then to believe, to believe in the good news, believe in the gospel, believe in what Jesus has said and done. So what do you believe? What do you struggle to believe? Like I said at the start, I believe that if we can live this life of faith, we can fix our eyes on Jesus, begin to see things differently, to be able to trust in what he said, that we will find a way of living that begins to make sense, that leads to life, that we can walk with Jesus and experience joy and peace and righteousness. We can see what this kingdom is all about. So I'm going to invite our youth band up, actually, if you guys want to make your way up. And um, our youth band are going to sing a song. It's like a prayer song. So it's a song that's a prayer. I don't know if a prayer song is a thing, but in my head it is. All right? And it's called Give Me Faith. And these are what the words say. Give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside, and so I give you my life. Those are, those are pretty powerful words to pray. Give me faith to trust what you say. I'm broken inside and I give you my life. And um, during this song, I just want to encourage you just to sit, to listen, to reflect, to pray, to ask yourself that question, what do I need to believe or what am I struggling to believe? Maybe to ask God to reveal that to you. Ask God to give you faith, to help you to believe, to help your unbelief. And at some point during the song, there's a few tables around. I think we've got one sort of in each corner. And uh, on those tables, there's a little card with Galatians 2.20 on the back and on the front is blank. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is just to make your way to that table, one of those tables at some point, and just on the front side, just write down what's your take home. What's the thing that you feel like God's put on your heart tonight? Whether it's something you need to believe, whether it's something you want to believe, whether it's help to believe, whatever it is, what is that line for you? And don't stress, you don't need to give it to anyone, you don't need to show anyone, you can put it in your pocket, take it home with you, reflect on it during the week, pray about it during the week, and then um, after that we're going to maybe pair up and pray, but we'll see how we go. Is that cool? We got that? These guys are going to play, reflect, pray, and then when you're comfortable, make your way to a table, grab a card, and go for it.